It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Boy, look at that Coinbase down 22% today. So we need to talk a little bit about crypto, and we're going to do that in just a moment. Bloomberg Markets brought to you by Commonwealth, supporting more than 2,000 independent financial advisors with the solutions they need to grow a thriving business. Commonwealth, go where you grow. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Joanna Ossinger joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. She's cross-asset reporter from Bloomberg News, based in Singapore, but in New York this week. So we said we need to get Joanna uh, in the studio. And there's a ton going on, That's It's the you. perfect time for exactly. Joanna to come here. I mean, I think she what the it. hell <laughs> is going on? Sorry for saying hell. But you can't talk about hell if you can't say hell, right? Nope. Um, we have not only the drop in Bitcoin, which to me... It's not abnormal to see this kind of, I've been watching it for 11 years now and it, this happens, but um, the move in Terra is shocking to me. I mean, still day two, I'm stunned that this supposed stable coin can fall to this morning, 20 cents. What's the ticker? On the dollar. Help me out here. What's the ticker? It's like XUT. Oh, jeez. UST. No, no, the ticker on the Bloomberg terminal, right? right? Um, got it. Okay. Well, you got it? All right. Yep. Okay, so what happened? What what are what is there's there's this uh, algorithm based stable coin. It's mm -hmm. supposed to automatically make changes to stick exactly to one dollar. It works in combination with another um, uh, coin called Luna, which then I guess buys Bitcoin and Avalanche and other stuff. There's this dude, a total bro, and I don't like to use that word pejoratively, but I will right now who is the backer of it. He says he might have a solution. What's going on? Well, this is the thing with these algorithmic stable coins is that they work until they don't. And there has been this history of these things not doing well. And you know, there are a few that have lasted a while, but they can blow up in spectacular fashion. And you know, people have talked about this, where if you have volatile assets that you wrap together, sometimes they can be volatile. They won't necessarily maintain that desired peg to the dollar. So it's really just been quite dramatic. And there are a lot of people who put faith in UST doing well in having these yields. If you stake to it that 20% or more people were counting on that stuff. And now it doesn't look like that's happening. And the thing is, how do you restore confidence once it's been lost? What's the, this question about both of you, what's the breakdown and do you think an investor base for a lot of these crypto assets, whether it's Bitcoin or anything 
else, institutional versus retail? Oh, geez, I, I don't know numbers per se, but institutions have been getting into them. But there are a lot of people who are regular investors who just looked at it and said, hey, 20% yield sounds awesome. I'm going to put a lot of money in there. And I have been hearing just anecdotally about people who've lost uh, some decent amount of their savings on stuff like this. Yeah, well, I know a ton of people who have, to be fair, um, made, a t- made a lot of money over the last few years um, that have gotten into this. People like my trainer, you know. No. I have a cameraman um, who have made hundreds First, of thousands. First, I didn't know you had a trainer. Well, no, I don't actually. I, 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 I hired the guy, and then we started hanging out for beers, and we don't really work That's out. That's not training. Okay. Now we're just buddies. <laughs> it's okay. a different kind of training. <laughs> but, but, so you're paying him to be your buddy? But these, but, <laughs> I, 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 these guys uh, have made a lot, of, a lot of money in crypto, but right. they're into all of these schemes, right? Anything where they can make a sick return or leverage, you know, get leveraged up. And also, stable coins are a huge part of the way they trade. The interesting thing to me, Joanna, is that while this story is so shocking, we haven't seen much of a ripple effect across um, the crypto universe. We haven't too much, although some of the other stable coins are down just a tad. Um, like Tether, I mean, it's, it's very minimal, but Tether is off, you know, Point one cent or something, uh, but yeah, you're right that the other stable coins, but Tether and USD coin, for instance, do claim to be backed by dollars and other assets. So it's um, you know you could say they're kind of a different thing from some of these other algorithmic stable coins. But definitely, Terra is the one that's getting all the attention and seems to be a lot of the focus. Of course, um, the whole crypto complex is down significantly in recent days anyway so that's not helping things either and again i started off with coinbase it's now off 23 percent today off 78 percent year to date we're at a 52 week low still a market cap of 12 and a half billion but i'd look to coinbase as kind of the everyday person's opportunity to get exposure to crypto and so this kind of feels like it's a meaningful it still could be so Look, Coinbase is still going to be the major exchange that Americans use, or one of the major exchanges that Americans use to trade crypto. The key here, takeaway, in my opinion, for retail or for any investor is don't hold your crypto on the exchange. When you get a wallet, you can use Coinbase's wallet, which they make it easier for you to access, but they hold the private key. Or you can hold it on an off-exchange wallet where you have to remember the private key. That's the one that I forgot (laughs) Yeah, Um, with my blockchain wallet. But the problem is Coinbase said if they go bankrupt, all of your crypto that they hold could be lost. Yeah, that is a scary prospect. But, you know, it, it doesn't sound like they're anywhere near that point yet. But they are, the price is just so dependent on where Bitcoin right. is. Coinbase's price peaked around the yeah. same time Bitcoin did. So, you know. You notice what I have in my hand? Cold, hard cash. Hey. <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how players roll. Joanna Ossinger, thank you so much for joining us live here in the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Joanna Ossinger, cross-asset reporter for Bloomberg News, bringing us the latest on the volatile crypto space. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. 
the lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. got rising interest rates we had a hot inflation number today uh just kind of markets are trying to figure out which way to play this year we do have green on the screen here but again a lot of uncertainty out there that's kind of what we're seeing in the volatility doug baker he's a portfolio manager and head of preferred securities at nuveen they've got a couple of shekels under management doug what are you and your team how are you thinking about putting money to work these days given the inflation print we saw this morning given what we've seen from this Federal Reserve over the past couple of months. How are you guys approaching the market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so thanks for having me on. Um, you know, our, our views are a little bit more sanguine as, as far as, as rates are concerned. We, we do feel a lot is priced into the curve today. And, and really our, our outlook as far as the Fed is concerned by year end is, is a slight, slightly more constructive than the market. So we, we do feel that the Fed will, will get to about 2.5% by year end. Um, the, the 10 years probably going to be slightly north of, of 3% by that time. But we do feel that what's important, an important takeaway here is that a lot is priced into the curve. And, and when we do look at, at rates and where they are today, I think some people are, are, are looking a little too bearishly and, and feel that there's a lot more move to come. We're, we're, we're really positioned from the perspective that um, we need to look at what's priced in and, and trade accordingly. Now, we want to remain relatively conservative when it comes to interest rate risk or duration risk, and, and you'll see that reflected across our strategies. What about investors who want to return here? Um, Absolutely. Is it a good time to get in? We think so. We think credit spreads are actually very attractive in fixed income space. Uh, whether you're talking about investment-grade bonds, high-yield bonds, and in my space, and preferred securities, the credit spreads are actually very attractive. Um, and when you look at the underlying fundamentals, uh, they're, they're pretty strong. Corporate America, really from a liquidity and a leverage perspective, isn't, isn't too extended. And actually, the consumer is in a really good spot, too. Um, they had uh, elevated savings rates during COVID and, and are really coming into this environment um, fairly well protected. So with, with some ability to absorb the impact of inflation, like we saw today, still kind of coming in higher than, than what most people are expecting. Doug, we don't talk a lot on this show, I don't think, about preferred stocks in, in general in the preferred market. Give us your kind of 30-second elevator pitch for preferreds. How are you guys thinking about that part of the market? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important that one of the first takeaways is that this is a high-quality investment solution. Most of our uh, issuers are banks and insurance companies, and, and those two categories combined uh, account for about 80% of our issuer base. So so at the end of the day, these are highly rated, typically, and highly re regulated issuers. And interestingly enough, 
both of those sectors arguably benefit the most from a rising rate environment. So, so the outlook for the fundamentals in our space are, are pretty strong. Now, a lot of our preferred securities are either long-dated or perpetual in nature. So, so the thought is, by most folks, that this must be a long-duration or high-interest-rate sensitivity solution. And so some people could be a little scared by that. But actually, you know, through active management and, and security selection, you can actually put a portfolio together with a very reasonable duration exposure. Uh, for example, our, our mutual fund at, at the end of the month of, of March this year was running a duration of just over three years. So, so I think there are possibilities and um, very attractive ones to, to take advantage of, of the preferred market and, and to do so while also managing your, your interest rate risk to a fairly reasonable level. What do you think about... Um Europe or other regions than the U.S. I mean, you say preferred, I think about Volkswagen. You say preferred, I think about <laughs> Porsche, right? These are sure. just, they have famous preferred stocks. Do I they? don't know if you like them particularly. Why, Why do they have famous preferred stocks? That's, that's <laughs> the stock that trades. Okay. Yeah, VOW3 at GY. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but uh, it just makes me, I mean, obviously not banks, although they have massive financial arms. Um, right. what, what do you think about the... Uh, 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 outside of the U.S. Um, right now? Sure. So so outside the U.S., banks are, are still very large issuers of, of preferreds. It's, it's a slightly different category, something that we refer to as contingent capital securities. But definitely here in the U.S., it seems there, there's a misperception about how strong these Western European banks are. And it shocks most people when we put data in front of them and we demonstrate that on average, uh, these banks are better capitalized than even our U.S. banks. And so so we do think that there are tremendous opportunities, especially in Western Europe. Now, are there a handful of names, obviously, we'd like to avoid and maybe some particular regions? Yeah, indeed. But we've, we've gone through the, the Western European bank space to pull out things like, hey, how much Russian-Ukraine exposure is there? What if this was all written down? Uh, what would that mean for, for that segment of our market? And, and to be honest, um, with the amount of capital that's in the bank system today uh, in, in Europe, um, they should be uh, well positioned to absorb uh, any any sort of hit or write down, uh, and and even the knock on effects that we expect to hit the European economy. Those banks should be well positioned. A reminder for everyone: U.S. banks, European banks, they're stress tested regularly to to determine whether they can survive dire economic conditions worse than what we saw in 2008, 2009. So when people are you know, starting to yep. raise the specter of, of, uh, of a recession, that doesn't really bother us too much in, 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 in the scheme of things. Good stuff. Doug Baker bringing it today. Doug Baker, Portfolio Manager and Head of Preferred Securities at Nuveen. Let's get over to Michael Dean right now. Bloomberg Intelligence Autos Analyst out of London. He covers Volkswagen and has been doing a bang-up job of it for years. In fact, um, Michael, a lot of the calls that you made um, are are now coming true. At the the main one of them being that um, Volkswagen is finally going to IPO Porsche. Before we get into the Scout announcement, which I'm pumped about, um, <laughs> talk to us about the Porsche IPO and how uh, how important this is. How big is this going to be for uh, a company that has like you know ten other brands? Hi. Good morning. So yes, if you look at um, you know what's happening to Tesla uh, in terms of the market capitalization, if you look at Ferrari, 
And you look at the um, very strong valuations that that luxury brand has. And then you look at Volkswagen, which is trading on near crisis multiples. It's very important for them to do something. And by IPOing Porsche, they can actually extract some value for shareholders. And hopefully, you know, Porsche will be valued at a similar sort of um, level to um, to Ferrari. I mean, and Volkswagen, by the way, Volkswagen trades for about 88 billion euros in yeah. total, right? Which is like a tenth of Tesla. How much is Porsche going to be worth post-IPO? So we think it could be worth up to 80 billion euros. So, so almost the market cap of its parent company in total. So this is huge for the company. Why what? is Volkswagen traded at such a discount? Dude, though? imagine this means you get Bentley, Lamborghini, uh, Ducati, Seat, Skoda, Volkswagen. I don't know what I'm missing. All for free. Audi, all for all free. Right, so let me ask the expert, Michael Dean, why is that? Well, you just look at any European auto company or any legacy auto company. They're trading on crisis multiples, which means that's effectively the market saying that their, their ICE business, their internal combustion engine business, um, will take them down or, or the company won't exist in the future, even though they're spending huge amounts and they're going to convert very quickly to, to battery very, um, electric vehicles. So it's a very tough market valuation for them at the moment. Well, let me talk to you about Herbert Dees because I'm going to interview him this afternoon. I've been uh, following this guy since he came from BMW. He produced one of my favorite motorcycles there, the R9T, um, sure. among other things. But now at Volkswagen, he has led a, can I say, balls-to-the-wall charge <laughs> towards electrification, towards the future. Um, is he, do you think, do, doing all the right things now? I think so. I mean, partly, um, you know, they're big charge into battery electric. So I think, you know, Volkswagen can overtake um, Tesla in terms of volumes for battery electric vehicles in 2024. But indirectly, because of what happened with Dieselgate, Volkswagen was kind of forced into battery electric vehicles, but Dies has sort of taken the helm and he's really pushed. And, you know, they, they're way forward in terms of their transition compared to other legacy brands. He has no blood on his hands from Dieselgate. By the way, it's personally a sad, a very sad story for me because I love a diesel powertrain. I don't. I, I just adore <laughs> I still have a diesel. You have it. Isn't it great? My first car that I ever bought with my own money was a Audi A4 2.5 TDI. I loved it. My new favorite powertrain is GM's uh, Baby Duramax, a little inline six diesel. I think they're fantastic propulsion systems. And given where pump prices are, I mean, they're very economical as well. So I'm very happy to have a diesel at the moment. All right, Michael, talk to us just about the car industry in general. Like, I, I, one of the questions I have is just, you know, in the United States, Kind of the average production was 16, 17 million cars a year. I'm told we're not going to see that again. How do you think about production and inventory levels at the dealers? Matt's got to wait like 18 months for his tr truck. Uh, is that the new normal? Yeah, it's so interesting at the moment. So, you know, initially we had these production shortfalls because of semiconductor constraints. Uh, now we've had other supply issues on the back of uh, the Ukraine war. So, so yeah, if we look at the first quarter results this year, many automakers, their production was down 20%, but their margins are up. Yeah. So they finally realize that they don't have to go for volume. And actually, it's probably a good thing for profitability for the industry that um, they're producing fewer cars. They're producing uh, higher margin cars, and, mm. and they're producing less of the, you know, the smaller uh, saloons, which aren't very popular anymore. By the way, I can't wait... Um Michael, until you come over here to the U.S. and uh, 
get to ride in my truck. Hopefully I have it um, by then. <laughs> but let me tell you something about this truck I ordered. It just launched in February. Uh, it's a GM Chevy Silverado ZR2. They priced it at sixty-seven, uh, sorry, sixty-six seven ninety-five in February. Then at the end of the month, at the beginning of March, they priced it, raised the price to sixty-seven nine ninety-five. Then at the end of March, they raised the price again to sixty-nine two ninety-five. So they've raised the price um, more than three thousand dollars in the space of like two months. Is that normal? Yes, I've got another example. I, I was looking to buy the BMW iX, so their sort of X5 equivalent uh, battery electric vehicle. Please. When I first looked, it was £85,000. It's gone up to £105,000. So oh, I won't be ordering that. So the inflation is real. Yes, it's everywhere. And they can get these prices. People are willing to pay it. Yeah, and you've got to remember that most vehicles are financed now. So um, it's whether you extend the finance over another year, so you make the monthly payment the same. So that it's not really hitting consumers' pockets at the moment. So are the days over, Michael, when we, we pull into a lot and there's just dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of cars on a dealer's lot and we get to have a little bit of a negotiation over the, the, the price you're going to pay? Are those days over for consumers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in Europe, that was never the model. You always ordered... Um, the vehicle okay. and, and and in the US it's probably better for the manufacturers if it goes that way because you know you, you probably have more options and options are very profitable as you know for cars so so for long run profitability um, yeah I think it, it's better for the car makers and, that, and that's the way it's going to go in the US as well alright I'm keeping my 2014 BMW 535i in Duke Blue with manual transmission I'm it's keeping a great, it to dude it's a great engine it's a great transmission and yeah. I don't see anything wrong with keeping that. All right. Um, I got a, uh, just a minute left here, Michael. What do I ask Herbert Deese today? What should, what should the, my most important question um, for the CEO of Volkswagen be this afternoon? I, I just confirmed that they're going to um, IPO Porsche in the fourth quarter. Um, that would be the key um, item on my agenda. But also just about battery electric vehicles. So he's talking about uh, the cost of batteries or the, the equivalent cost of, of a BEV uh, compared to an ICE being pushed back maybe a year or two. So, so when will costs be comparable? Originally, we thought it was going to be 2024. We forgot to talk about the scout. 2025. We forgot to, and probably to you, it didn't, you weren't, you weren't, um, you know, slobbering over a scout as a young teen, Michael, because I, we never had the scout. No, you've never UK. had it. But it's so cool for the US. I mean, does Volkswagen as a brand really have a chance in America? Well, they certainly do on, um, on the Bev side of things. Um, and they've got a good market share at the moment. So they're catching up with Tesla. So they're certainly in with a chance on, on um, the new powertrains. Yeah, the battery electric vehicles. They had the ID4 is quite cool. The microbus, everybody's waiting for that. Greg Jarrett's waiting for that to come back. And then the, uh, and then the new Scout will be like a Rivian competitor. Michael Dean, Bloomberg intelligence analyst uh, covering autos for us out of London. Great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. And do tune in later this afternoon on Bloomberg Television and Radio for my my interview with the CEO of Volkswagen, Herbert Deese. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? 
That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Professional here doing this stuff for a living. Christian Ledeau, Director of Investment Research at CapTrust. Rich, I'm just kind of reading some notes here. About half of the broad U.S. market, we'll call that the Russell 3000, about half are down over 30% from the 52-week highs. That's a bear market. Are, are things worse out there than we think they are in terms of, you know, the equity markets? Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say sketchy, but let's say questionable business models in some of those companies. So we've, we've really had a period of froth that had to come down, and we're seeing that in a broad swath of industries, mostly in the tech and healthcare areas. Uh, but, it, you know, you talk about real economy stocks. Those are the ones holding up a little better. Certainly the ones in inflation beneficiary areas like energy and materials. All right. So I, I don't know if you kind of got this message early in your career like I did, which is don't fight the Fed. But if you did, kind of makes investing hard over the next six to 12 to 18 months because we have a Federal Reserve that's certainly in a hiking mode. Indeed, it is. And yes, my entire career has been in periods where interest rates are going down. Uh, we don't know yet just how far the Fed will have to go. Uh, consensus has it going to three and a quarter percent by 2024. Um, at least that was the last read. And that was really predicated on inflation remaining high. And, you know, it's too, too early to know. I think we have to have that debate internally about whether. This is a 1970s type of inflationary spiral, or whether it's more like World War II, where the GIs came home and did a lot of spending and there wasn't a lot of goods available, and sooner or later that got solved. We had uh, uh, John Authors on yesterday who was comparing what we're watching in the markets right now to what we saw in 99-2000, uh, which, which was a little bit uh, scary, to be honest. What do you think about valuations here? Um, what do you think about the possibility of a bottom? What do you think about investors kind of wading into this and picking things up? Yes, I see a lot of similarities to 1999 in those those pockets of speculative stocks. Certainly do. Um, the prospects of bottoming here is really company by company and industry by industry you have some really attractive stocks at current prices. You can get a 5-6% uh, dividend yield with cash flows, cheap on earnings, good balance sheets, and you're probably going to be fine with that kind of stock. But to really get into the speculative stuff, you really need to see inflation come off and the Fed taking the foot off the gas pedal. AT&T, what's your call there, Christian? <laughs> you picked you picked the poster child of what I just said. Yep, that is the that is the kind of company that uh, I feel has very little downside here. You got a company that uh, divested the media business that was a real drag on that company, and it's saying that it's going to stay straight and narrow from here. It's going to start raising prices. It's going to start cutting costs, and then 
it gets that valuation boost to make it a little bit more uh, in line with its peers, Verizon and T-Mobile. And you can get a 30% gain in a stock like that. So is this a whole new management team there at AT&T? Because they, two of the worst acquisitions I can remember, and I covered the media industry for 30 years as an analyst, was DirecTV, a business that was clearly on the downside, and then AT&T with... I mean, buying Time Warner into a business they didn't really know with a really tough capital structure. Is the management, has it turned over such that you have confidence in their ability? Well, let's just say this management team has been sufficiently chastised. I think the market has given it a clear signal. It had been a dog for five years. And I think it's known now that it's not going to be able to do that kind of transaction anymore. The market simply won't let it. An activist investor would jump in there and tell them to stop. But no, the, the management team hasn't turned over to a great extent yet. Uh, if, if they were to make missteps from here, I think you'd see that. How about the home builders there? A lot of folks are concerned about the home builders. I know you have Pulte Group on there. but Yeah, because rates. Yeah, rates. <laughs> rates. I mean, prices are already high. Um, and now you've got mortgage rates rising. Does it make a difference? Oh, absolutely. This is an industry that's likely to hit a recession pretty soon. But that's the beauty of a cycle like this. This stock has peaked a year ago, and business has still been getting good. So in other words, investors know this is coming. And now the question is, what's going to happen a year from now? And I think you're going to have a pretty shallow recession. Now, that's that's where we could debate this, but if we see rates come down because inflation has come down about six to nine months from now, and you know we still still have a structural shortage of housing, we could see the other side of this housing recession coming real quick. Shallow recession. I like that. Uh, he's a gaucho, by the way. Who? <laughs> Christian is a gaucho. UCSB. Oh, that's right. Is there any? more beautiful place in the country. I, I was just going to say, Barbara. I can't imagine going to school in a cooler place. How was it? Tell us here on the <laughs> on the East Coast, uh, what was it like going to college at UCSB? It was horrible. I don't know how I ever got myself <laughs> out of bed. <laughs> Boy, and it stays like this in the market that I wish I was back there. Yeah, exactly. All right, Christian, good, good stuff. We appreciate you coming on. Christian Ledeau, He's the director of investment research at Cap Trust, talking about some of the names they're looking at. And again, you know, some of the names AT&T, Broadcom, Pulte Group, those are some of the names that they're, uh, you know, allocating some capital to here. And in the markets today, a little bit of a mixed S&P and the Dow up about four to six tenths of one percent. But the Nasdaq, uh, that's trading off about a uh, half of one percent. So a little bit of a mixed market here as the market digests uh, this uh, CPI print that we had this morning. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, 
top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.